Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I want to welcome you to today's program. We've got a great lineup for you today. Plenty of information and education. We'll be answering your questions. And let me remind you that, of course, if you've got a question for us, just simply text it to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Experience has taught me that successful investing requires two things, discipline and patience. And when emotions run high, it's easy to lose focus on our investment strategy. Well, sometimes the best advice that we can give you is the simplest, and that's simply to step back, look at the big picture, and avoid making some of those hasty decisions. Well, Scott Jordan, a certified financial planner, is our expert today, and he's going to guide us through some money management principles for today's market and all the news media that we're hearing. He's going to talk about emotions and how do we protect those. Shannon Dyson's also going to talk about health insurance. He's an expert. He'll join us in the second half of the program to share information about an important issue dealing with medical insurance coverage pertaining to, listen to this, very important subject, transparency when it comes to pharmacy benefits. Boy, that's you think that's something we do already, but we don't. You don't want to miss that part of the program. But first, our first topic is an expert that doesn't, he does a great job for us. He's always viewed as that, you know, somebody that we get just an enormous amount of information. He gives us the Washington update from Mr. Greg Vellier. Welcome, sir. He is the chief U.S. policy strategist in AGF Investments. Greg, I just want to thank you for joining us, man. Great to be with you. All right, let's start with this first question. When I when I think about you and you're right inside the belt, you're doing a lot of things and you know all the problems and things like that. I guess that I look at it from from the idea behind inflation. We've got news this week. You know, we had a celebration. And <laughs> I tell you, you know, a celebration and then reports coming out at the same time that seemed like uh, maybe we wouldn't, maybe one party wasn't reading the news or something. But what's your take when it comes to inflation? And what do you think that Washington's thinking about inflation? Well, a great question, and nice to be with you, Jim. First of all, I would say that we really do have a serious inflation problem. You know, gasoline prices have come back down a bit. That's good, but there's a lot else that has not come back down, including food. And I think that the Federal Reserve, which got caught by surprise last year, has more work to do. I think we're going to get a big uh, rate increase, 75 basis points, uh, in the next few days, and probably another big increase before Thanksgiving. So for people in the markets, I think we all have to brace ourselves for uh, higher rates. Higher rates are coming. Well, you know, when you talk about higher rates, that really begins to affect our pocketbook. And I know yep. that when we listen to the president, we listen to both parties back and forth and everybody's talking. But at, at the end of the day, I was reading recently that uh, I think uh, lender 
Lender.com to come out with this idea behind inflation is beginning to creep into the home home market. You know, they're down about 20%, 29%. The reality is, I mean, we're beginning to feel the pain. Is it going to continue through Christmas, you think? Is it going to continue through the first half of next year? Do you have a timetable for it? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. But I would say, Jim, that I think by Christmas, the beginning of next year, we'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think that the tightening will ease up. Maybe they'll do one in January, and that'll be it. And then we'll see if the economy can withstand all of this very bitter medicine that it's been given. Uh, 2023 looks to me kind of choppy in the first half of the year for the economy, but it's important to remember the labor market is still really strong. Uh, There's plenty of jobs. uh, People are working. And I think that uh, real disposable income, you know, based on salaries, based on a lot of things, will still look pretty good in 2023. But for the next few months, uh, I think it's going to be a jittery stock market. Well, you know, just recently, we, when you talk about the jittery stock market, we had the big downturn this week. And then, of course, it's, you know, kind of resolved a little bit. But I guess my question to you is, if, if we look at the elections coming up in November, you know, usually, if you look at it in the past, the prior to the elections, the market's in kind of an up and down, a lot of volatility. But after that, it begins to settle in and take off. What do you predict? Yep. What do you see for the elections? I mean, right now, I mean, I mean, I'm just very disappointed with both parties. And what are you? What's your take? Well, I think there's been a shift uh, in the Senate outlook. I think the Democrats have a chance to keep the Senate, maybe in a tie or maybe by one seat. I still think the House is going to flip back to the Republicans, and that's a big story for investors because if the Republicans control even one of the two houses, that means that any proposal to raise taxes will die. Uh, I think you've got to say House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will be slightly different than Nancy Pelosi ideologically, and I think that McCarthy and the Republicans would block any kind of tax increase. So that probably would be a good story for the markets. That's good to hear, and I guess the, the thought process, from, from my standpoint, I've got one more big question. What happens sure. if Trump or Biden... Neither one of them decide to run. Who runs? Who's the person that's who? Who? Which party? What? What? Which? Not which party? Who's running per party? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I kind of buy your premise here that it's possible that Biden or Trump won't run. Biden, uh, if he won re-election, would be leaving the White House at the age of eighty-six after a second term. Uh, Trump is seventy-six. Uh, I think that the uh, the health factor will will be uh, will, will be a dominant issue for both of them. So if they don't run, I think on the Republican side you've got to say that Ron DeSantis of Florida would be the front runner. But there are many other people: Nikki Haley, Ted Cruz, long uh, Mike Pompeo, a long list of Republicans who would run. On the Democrat side, if Biden doesn't run, and frankly, I don't think he will. Uh, it's not clear who his successor would be. Uh, Kamala Harris has been a disappointment. Uh, there are some other Democrats like Gavin Newsom who are 
a little more charismatic, but Gavin Newsom in California has a terrible problem with crime in his big cities. I'm not sure that would, would be a plus for him. Uh, so the Democrats' outlook is a little less likely. I think the Republican outlook is clear that Ron DeSantis would be their nominee if Trump doesn't run. But you see it being more of a, well, again, uh, that's uh, politics, and I guess the, that's two years from now, and you see the House going to the Republicans as far as this midterm election, and again, Democrats maintaining, that's kind of been the census, I guess, uh, since, I guess, the beginning of the year, even though there may were, there were some discussion about possibly that the Republicans would take the Senate, and it would be by, you know, what you call the, you know, photo finish to do that. But I yeah. like, like what you're saying. The Republicans have had trouble in states that I wouldn't expect in the Senate. Georgia, for example, and several other states where they, the uh, Republicans were hoping to do well and may not. But I think they take the House. All right, that's a good point for us to just keep in mind. If you just join me, my guest is Mr. Greg Valliere. He is the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist for AGF Investments and uh, is our insider when it comes to Washington and knowing what's going on. I always appreciate what you say, Greg, because it's just so important for us to kind of get that heartbeat and that pulse of what's happening. So here's my question. I know I recently read that the president said that he wasn't really able to tell us what this this problem in Ukraine is now looking like? In other words, have we run out the Putin forces? You know, all those questions that were going on. And I guess I'm interested in your take on really what's happening with Russia. What's I mean, Ukraine is because of the support they've been getting are really doing a great job. Do you, do you see an end to this war soon? Do you see taking back what's been what's been taken from the Ukraine, them, them taking it back? What's your take? Well, this is a really, really great story, Jim, to see the Ukrainian troops now clearly on the offensive. Uh, the Russian troops are in total disarray. They're retreating. They're abandoning their arms. They're going back to Russia, sort of like 1918, when the Russians uh, got out of World War One. So I do think that at some point, Vladimir Putin, who now has a lot of criticism in Moscow, I think at some point Putin has to sue for peace and say let's let's have negotiations you know maybe he he would get a little bit of land but i think that zelensky in ukraine uh, would hold the high cards and i i wouldn't predict it is coming in the next few weeks but i think uh maybe after the winter which could be a difficult winter in western europe uh, from an energy standpoint uh, i think the the humiliation of russia has been so dramatic that at some point Putin is either going to have to sue for peace or he's ousted. And I don't rule out the scenario that Putin is ousted by his own generals. You know, I know in your report recently, you, you actually said that he was, you felt maybe that he's more tone deaf, he's delusional. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciated yep. that comment because obviously he had a plan or maybe he didn't. It was just a tremendous amount of saber rattling and I'm going to I'm going to do this regardless but but it seems like his plan has not worked he's lost a lot of credibility but it is devastating to what he's done as far as Europe is concerned and inflation in Europe is really beginning to heat up and with the winter coming uh, that could be a problem even though I know they're stockpiling a lot of fuel yep. and a lot of things like that mm -hmm. so do you see that as being something we can get through because I've heard recently that because they're taking our fuel that reality is we're going to have brownouts in certain cities in the U.S. Is that 
that reality? Well, I, I think that Western Europe can muddle through. They've stockpiled a lot of energy, and they've cut new energy deals with producers all around the world. I think the U.S. will, will probably be able to muddle through as well. The, the key here is when Putin finally agrees that something has to change. I mean, he, his, his losses in the last few weeks have been astonishing. His troops have uh, totally retreated. So I, I do think it's, a, it's a, an interesting story as we go into the winter. Uh, I would just caution, though, if Putin is ousted, and I think that's possible. We could get somebody worse. I mean, there's no guarantee that if Putin leaves, there's going to be some, uh, some moderate. It could still be a lot of angry, hawkish uh, Russians uh, who want to try to keep this war uh, going. But I think the ordinary Russians have been to a lot of funerals. I think they know that this war is a war that uh, has backfired on the government. Well, that's uh, so true, and I mean, it's uh, it's devastating. I have some friends that actually live in Ukraine, and uh, you know, it's a it, it's a it's a it's been a it's there's been a lot of damage, and their life's going to be different yep. for a long, long, long time. So, let's change subject here. Let's go to this because I, I think it's important. You know, we we despite I mean, last year we got a great cost of living adjustment. You know, as far as Social Security is concerned, and I know Social Security, that's the retirement benefit, but here's the issue. Lost, it's, for what I read from the Senior Citizens League, which is great information, that Social Security retirement benefits have lost 40% of their buying power since 2000. Now, that's a big number. What do you see as far as the Social Security COLA for this year, and what do you think that's going to do to buying power? Well, buying power is a, cr a crucial issue, and I, I understand why people would say it's diminished. But at the same time, we'll get an, an announcement, Jim, in late October as to what the COLA, the cost of living adjustment, will be for next year, for 2023. I'm hearing it could be 8%, 9%. It, I understand inflation is high as well. I, I get it, but an eight or nine percent increase in Social Security is uh, is not uh, slim pickings. That's a, that's a pretty impressive increase. Yeah, you know, and again, that's uh, the good part about that is, I guess, that that stays as the increase. They don't come back in five years and decrease it. Well, that's right. And, and, of course, you're seeing in a lot of labor uh, negotiations, including the railroads, uh, people wanting three-year deals, four-year deals, and at very high rates. So I do worry that some inflation is going to be embedded in our economy for the next three or four years. I, I would be surprised if rates came back down to two, two and a half percent. That's, that's a long way off. That's a, yeah, I agree with that long way off. Well, last question, because it deals with that global question. It's always on the table. It's right, but you know, in the back of our minds all the time, will trade relations with China ever improve in your opinion? Not right away. I think there's still friction. In Washington, both parties feel that China has not treated their dissidents well, that they haven't been transparent on COVID, that they've spied on us. So when I look at the world, I see the Iranians not cooperating on getting a new a nuclear deal. I think they're going to be disruptive in the Persian Gulf. I see the Russians as a problem. I see North Korea and China. So if there's one pure play in Washington from an investment standpoint, I think it's the defense stocks. Uh, I think the defense stocks are going to do very well. I think that the Pentagon is going to continue to get really dramatic spending increases from both parties.
Well, that's um, that's critical information. We're going to see that when you talk about spending from both parties. That's important. Those are things we need to think about. My guest, Greg Valliere, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist, AGF Investments. Sir, it is always a pleasure to have you on the air, and I thank you for you giving us your time today. And, you know, as we get past the elections or just before the elections, I need to have you back to kind of see how the end of the year and what's going on at that point. You always bring great information, and I want to thank you, sir. Great to chat, Jim. Have a great day, and uh, thank you for being a part of today's program. If you just joined us, we've been talking with Greg Valliere. He is the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist for AGF Investments. And joining me now in the studios is Scott Jordan. And, Scott, you know, Mr. Valliere always brings us great information. What's your summary? What's your take on – I mean, he just threw it at us. I well, mean, it was a lot. The, it was a lot to take in A lot in of there. information. Yes, sir. What do you think? And I think, you know, when you when you look at all that and we're trying to say, well, what does all this mean for an investor, right? You know, we were talking about trade relations with China. Are those going to improve? A lot of friction there. Now, there's – you know, if you look at what's going on in China right now with uh, especially precisely the property sector, a lot of problems over there. But I do feel like their government will stimulate the economy over there and try to overcome a lot of that. Now, the trade tensions are something that I, I think will probably continue to escalate over time, as Greg talked about. So, um, you know, he, he kind of threw out the defense stock scenario there, and I think yes. that's that's not a bad place. And as part of a diversified portfolio, I think you're going to have access to some of those defense stocks that that tend to do well during times of tension around the world, like I think we're probably going to see going forward. You know, at the same time, when you when you get that idea, and here's a guy that's got his pulse on Washington all the time, and he talked about, you know, where we end up where you have a Republican House and a, you know, a Democratic Senate. We've seen that, and that, yep. of course, that kind of brings that stymied thought. I mean, they're just not yep. going to get anything done. And the market likes that. Well, historically, if you look back, and again, we always say past performance is no predictor of the future. But if you look back, historically, the market has responded well to a divided government. You know, whoever, whichever party's in control, the, the markets tend to like the division because, like you said, that means not a lot of change, not a lot is going to get done. Uh, Greg mentioned specifically specifically the the no more tax increases, which bodes well for the market going forward. No more taxes. That's big. You talk about kind of a deadlock type of government mindset. That's big. But at the end of the day, I mean, we still are dealing with inflation. And he wasn't that optimistic about inflation. He literally said we're not going to see back to 2% at any time soon. Well, I think that is going to take time. Now, I, I'm in the camp that I do think inflation will moderate over time. I think the Fed will ultimately be successful in bringing inflation down. I think it's probably going to take a little longer than most people anticipated going into this. Of course, the August numbers that came out yesterday really disappointed the market. I think people wanted to see evidence that inflation had had peaked and specifically in the non-durable goods sector we saw a lot of increases that we weren't expecting to see now there were some bright spots energy being one energy costs have come down significantly and that was a big driver of a lot of that uh used cars we saw a little decrease there so we're seeing some bright spots and we are seeing some evidence that what the fed is doing is starting to have an impact on the market but i think it's going to take time i think it's a it's a long battle that we're in for to get inflation back in balance. Yeah, we saw the market react to the numbers this week. And, and, and the, the reality is, I mean, you talk about used cars. Wow, that's a big deal. 
Uh, I don't think I'm going to go buy one yet, but uh, <laughs> but that is a big deal. But I think also the reality that people are now staring headlines right in their face about food costs going up. So what do you tell that person who's literally seeing the cost of just living going through that process from a planning standpoint as a certified financial planner? What would you say to them? Well, you know, we all have, when we're doing financial planning, you know, we all have a certain amount of money that we're dealing with. Some have more than others, but we have kind of this circle of wealth that we're dealing with. And then we have to figure out how we're going to use that to our best advantage. And when you have situations where cost of necessities are rising, like food, like energy, like the basic things we need every day, that's less money that we have to maybe save for the future, you know, pay for things like insurance costs. Uh, do the things we enjoy doing, just the lifestyle expenses. So it does put a strain on family budgets when we see increases in, in, in those types of areas. Now, I always tell people, though, man, we live in good times. Uh, it, it may seem bad now, but if you look back at a per, as a percentage of income, the amount that we have to spend on things like food and energy today is way less as a percentage of income than it was, say, back in 1940 or 1950. Oh, I so, know. you know, it, it may not seem like I it, but you. we do live in good times. Yeah, I, I want to put a little optimism in there. I hear you. That That's good, important. That's very important for us to know. So, Scott Jordan, he's our expert today, and uh, we're going to go through some money management principles when we come back. We're going to ask answer Mike's question convertible bonds what do i use them for i think that's a good question shannon dyson will be with us he's the insurance expert we're going to talk about transparent pharmacy benefits you don't want to miss that stay with us i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results this information is not investment advice or a recommendation Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Investments in fixed income securities are subject to the credit worthiness of their issuers and interest rate risk. As such, the net asset value of bonds will fall as interest rates rise. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Greg Villiers or AGF Investments. The views and opinions expressed are those of Greg Villiers only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. My guest is Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner, and we're talking about some fundamental investing principles. So I've got something I want to read you. It says, for a safety-conscious investor, it looks like there is no place to hide these days. Utilities are not predictable anymore, and the government is about to shrink the supply of treasury bonds. Now, that was written in April of 2000. 
and published in an article, and I actually wrote the article, and it simply says in the magazine, the best advice I can give anyone today is stay invested and know your risk tolerance. Now, Scott, I'm not trying to say that was great because I wrote it, but the I was, was kind of thinking uh, that was a brilliant he, statement he, 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 until you we know, got the source, and I, I was like, you. well, there we go. I hear you. <laughs> but, you know, the reality, the reason why I want to read it, somebody, one of our clients, brought it into the office the other day and said, hey, I just wanted to share this with you. I had the, the article from the magazine and it was written in April of 2000 wow and the point is it's the same advice you would give somebody today you mean this is not the first time oh. we faced a volatile market? <laughs> no, it's not. Is that what you're trying to That's tell That's what me? I'm trying to say. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, I think it just goes back to, you know, we always talk about investing or any investment philosophy should be based on sound principles. And those sound principles really don't change. You know, the market reacts to news in different ways. You know, we we're just talking to Greg about the situation in politics and, and all of that can sound pretty scary and, and get people to be very fearful. But, you know, investing based on sound principles, those principles are solid and they're there because they work throughout time. And and you just, you know, I, I like that you brought that article in because that could have been written today because I could say the same thing today. Seems like there's no place to hide. Both stocks and bonds are both getting bit, beat up pretty bad this year. So, you know, the, the part of the portfolio we normally put in there as a ballast to the equity volatility is not working right now either. Uh, we've seen these situations before. We were seeing that back in 2000. We saw it in 2008. So there's nothing new under the sun. And so it's it's really staying staying to those principles and investing according to a plan that works over time. And I think it's important for, for us to, uh, to share to you, our listener, the facts that understanding that these fundamentals of investing are really just basic principles that we need to work through. By the way, let me just share this with you. You can find our show Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, subscribe to the podcast and, and leave us a review. We would appreciate that. Scott, when I talk about being the emotional investor, explain that because I think it's normal. I don't think it's something that's you know easy to manage. And yet, what do you say to someone how do I control my emotions? Well, it's very difficult. And I always say emotions are the enemy of any good investment strategy. Um, and, you know, the emotion we really talk about with the market a lot is fear. Uh, fear tends to creep in in different ways, right? And in, in, in up markets, when we see kind of these bullish runs, you kind of get that fear of missing out. And people tend to want to jump in, usually at the wrong time, when they're feeling pretty sure that, hey, nothing's ever going to go wrong again. And then we go through times like we're going through now and you get that fear of loss. So you have that fear of missing out in the good times, that fear of loss in the bad times. And those emotions can lead a, an investor, a long-term investor, to make irrational decisions that derail their long-term strategy in order to try to make them feel a little better in the present, you know, because it is uncomfortable. You're right. You can't really say, we always say to people, don't, you know, don't fear, don't panic. Don't, well, that's easy to say. It's harder to actually live out when you see your, your nest egg or your retirement account balance drop by 15, 20%. It's going to cause some emotions. It, and, and you throw the news media in there and the, you know, the doomsdayers that this time's different and we've never seen anything like this. This is going to be the biggest crash you've ever seen. I see those headlines everywhere now. And that can cause a person to really make a bad decision. So we always try to say, don't get caught up in your emotions, but that's hard to do. The The thing I would say that is more important is don't 
don't abandon your long-term investment strategy just because of short-term discomfort. Yeah, even though you read the headlines, and I read one recently, the market's in for a 50% drop. Now, that is a fabulous headline. That's a great headline. But I'd click like, on that. I'd, I'd <laughs> click on that and read, but you got to read the whole article right. to understand what they're saying. Right. You know, we don't need to get into that, but yep. that's what I read. But by the way, if you have questions for us, type Jim, J-I-M, to the text line, 901-683-0989. That's, the text line is 901-683-0989. Type in Jim, J-I-M, so it comes directly to me. And also, you can send it to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Now, that's what Mike did. And Mike just simply says, convertible bonds, how do they fit in my portfolio or should they be in my portfolio? Should they be producing income? Now, I don't know how old Mike is, but I assume that Mike's probably maybe retired. Now, we're going straight from zero to convertible bonds. I mean, that's, that's a big jump in the, <laughs> well, I'm in the audience Well, Mike's question. So, 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 yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's to, a great question. It is a good I, question. I kid around. Let's, let's talk about what exactly a convertible bond is, and then we'll, we'll try to kind of discern how those might fit into a portfolio. So a, a bond is essentially where we loan a company or a government money. And, in, and when we talk about convertible bonds, a uh, convertible bond is, a, is like a corporate bond. It's, it's issued by a corporation, but it has an added feature. It has the ability to convert that bond into a fixed number of shares of stock in that company. So, you know, you have a bond, a bond, you're loaning a company money. They agree to guarantee to pay you a certain amount of interest over time, and then you recover your principal at the term of that bond. But again, on the convertible bond, wow, you can actually convert that bond into shares of stock in the company. Now, all that's agreed on upon the front end in the bond, so you know kind of the terms that are available. But, you know, if you're owning that bond and you're earning a good interest and all of a sudden you look out in the market and you see the stock has done extremely well, well, you may want to exercise that right to convert that to shares of stock. Does it fit into a retirement-type portfolio, in your opinion? Because I think can. that's what maybe Absolutely he was questioning. Can. Now, I would, I would say with bonds in general, but specifically with convertible bonds, I would be more comfortable in a professional manager, manager choosing those for me because they're very complicated. We're being very simple with them. There's a lot of different types and a lot of different ways those are structured, but they can play a part in a portfolio. Uh, you know, we have a sleeve of a lot of our portfolios with a manager that does a convertible bond strategy. So, again, they're they're kind of a hybrid. So, they're going to act like a bond in certain situations. They're going to act like an equity in, in other situations. So, it can be a good alternative for somebody who wants some of that equity exposure but it's kind of limited and it doesn't usually capture all the downside risk of the equity because of that bond feature. So it's a kind of a nice hybrid. Uh, also, because they're typically shorter term or shorter duration, most of them are five years or less, uh, it, it can be a good hedge against interest rate hikes as well, along with that convertibility strategy. So at certain cycles in the market, it can be a good holding. It's not something I would put every dollar in by any means or any stretch of the imagination. It's just part of an overall portfolio. Uh, they've, they've actually done well this year compared to a lot of other bonds because of that shorter maturity and conversion feature. Um, and it's attractive to the comp company as well because typically they do pay a lower interest rate. So it's cheaper financing for the company because they're adding in that conversion feature. So you're accepting a little bit lower interest for the ability to convert. But it works, and that's what Mike it wanted to know. Yeah, that's the key. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's I, key. I would get, again, I would get advice on those. I, I don't think, unless you're very well versed in, in I wouldn't go it alone with buying convertibles. 
Just to remind you, like Mike did, send us a question. If you have questions, type them to Jim, J-I-M, to, that's the text line, 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We always like your questions. We do our best to get those questions on the air. And uh, Scott, would you come back next week? Let's talk some more about some of these fundamentals of investing. And also, I know Drew's going to join us, some popular misconceptions about about bonds. I think that would be absolutely. I think that'd be right on target. It's a good topic. Absolutely. <laughs> since since we're talking about that, that would tie it in really, really well. And I appreciate that. So let me change, uh, step over here to this idea behind transparency. My guest is Shannon Dyson. He's the expert when it comes to insurance solutions. He's our vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. He's the expert when it comes to all the insurance questions that you have. And uh, Shannon, you always do a great job. And this is such an important subject. Happy to be back, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right. Transparent pharmacy benefits. Now, we're talking about these benefits and it's, you know, it's written in the group health plans and why do we need, I mean, everybody gets, you know, you go to the doctor, he prescribes some medication, you go to the pharmacist, you get your medication. Why do we need transparency to make sure we're getting the right deal? I think that's what most people uh, know to be true. They, they really don't even make the distinction between the insurance carrier and their prescription program. Even those, those two things are completely separate uh, under your plan. Uh, so you, you, whatever I pay is my copay at the pharmacy. That's how much the drug costs. And that's it. That's all. That's really as far as we go uh, in that process. But the important piece to know is that that is not the price of, of the drug. And the problem with that is we as consumers uh, and employers cannot make the decisions on the best drugs to take if we don't know what the actual prices of the drugs are. You know, that's the problem because you're right. I mean, I, you know, I can remember I got a generic drug one time and the prescription was for the, you know, the, I guess the prescription was for the drug. I, I don't know exactly what that's called, but when you talk about, I've heard you say this because generic or the, you know, the actual drug or whatever, again, pharmacy benefit managers, yep. that's a term that's kind of new to me, but I've heard you use it multiple times, pharmacy benefit managers. So your pharmacy benefit manager, if you look at your card that you have from your group employer, you will typically see on the front of that card or the back a different name other than the insurance carrier that you have insurance with. That is going to be your pharmacy benefit manager. Uh, and the pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs, they were created to basically clear drugs uh, for, um, for an insurance company, um, have the pricing plan that is in effect for that, for that program. Uh, they, they get discounts from manufacturers. They, they negotiate all of those things. They tell the pharmacy what the, um, what the patient should pay as a copay at the time that they purchase the plan. Um, and that's, that's basically what their function was. So what so you're calling it a, like a visa transaction. Yes. Yeah, so it's like mean? they were, if you, if you see on your card, if you're, if you're listening, now, look at your insurance card. It says RX bin somewhere on the, on the card. 
that BIN, B-I-N, was actually, actually stands for a bank identification number. And that's what it was created for. It's like a visa. So if you go to the store and you buy a $100 pair of pants and you give the, the, the person your, your visa oh, card. Whoa, whoa, I don't know buy a $100 pair of so pants. So $25 pair of pants. Whatever the, whatever the. Are you uh, trying, well, I just want to make sure, just get clarity. We there. all buy different values of pants. It's <laughs> just fine. Just kidding. But the, the visa would t- contact your bank, whoever you, whoever the bank issuing bank is. They'd say, hey, does, does Jim have enough credit to buy these $25 pair of pants? The bank would issue back would say, yes, he does. They would let you leave with your pants. You get a bill later, you pay that bill, then the issuing bank goes back and pays the store the $25 for your pants, less any fees. In that transaction, though, Jim knows his pair of pants was $25. Okay, don't beat up the $25, The bank, the okay? bank knows that the pants were $25, and the Visa people know that the, that the pair of pants were $25. Could have dropped that to $50. Or 50 or 100 whatever the, whatever the, everybody knows the price. Amen, I hear you. Everybody knows the price. That's not the case in the pharmacy world. All right, and, let me and make sure I understand that. Transparency, if I bought a pair of $50, $100, whatever pair of pants, that's transparency. You're saying that's not the case when I'm buying my prescribed medication. That's correct, because there are different contracts in play. And so the, the pharmacy benefit manager has a contract with the insurance carrier. Uh, they have a contract with the pharmacy. If you're self-insured, they'll have a contract with the self-insured employer. So let's just go back to a five, you go to the store to get your generic prescription filled or your brand prescription filled, whatever it may be and you pay $10 copay for that prescription. Uh, the, they run it through, the pharmacy runs it through, uh, the PBM, the PBM says collect $10 uh, from the patient. Uh, we're gonna pay you another $10 because the cost of the prescription under our contract is $20. So you're gonna, the pharmacy is getting $20 for the prescription. Well, the contract that the uh, PBM had with the insurance carrier may have called for that prescription uh, to be priced at $30. And so I'm going to turn around as the PBM and bill the insurance carrier. I want to make sure P- PBM is the pharmacy, pharmacy benefit, manager. benefit manager. So your pharmacy sure- benefit manager is saying, okay, insurance carrier, uh, we're going to charge you $30 for that prescription. Or if you're self-insured, they're contacting the employer and saying, we're going to charge you $30 for this prescription that we just reimbursed 20 to the, to the pharmacy, that's spread pricing. And so the PBM gets to keep that $10. And so companies are in business to make money. Nobody is saying that companies shouldn't make money. Um, the problem is there are several different revenue streams for pharmacy benefit managers. And the one that is the least transparent, and we'll talk about another one in just a second, but the one that's l- the least transparent is the spread pricing. Uh, these contracts are confidential. So I can't see what is contracted between a pharmacy benefit manager and a, and a carrier or an employer. And I can't see what is contracted pricing between the pharmacy and the pharmacy benefit manager. So those are the problems, just not being able to see what actual pricing is. All right. When you say not able to see, what, what, with this in mind, what are you looking at as far as the, the goal of a transparency when you talk about pharmacy benefit? What, what should the consumer, the employee, the employer be looking for when they talk about transparent pharmacy benefits? I think in any, any program that, that you have as an employer, you're going to want to be able to obtain the data. Um, and you are the purchaser of these prescriptions. Your, your employees are the ones purchasing these prescriptions. If you're self-insured, 
you are the ones purchasing these prescriptions because you're paying for the self-insurance of these of these programs, you should have the data. Okay, what you're saying is you should have, they don't They today. do not. They do not have the data today. Uh, they do not know what the pricing of these prescriptions are. And we're flying blind. I mean, as an employer or as an employee, everybody understands that healthcare costs are going up. And one of the most, one of the, one of the, uh, driving factors of healthcare increasing is is the pharmacy and prescriptions. Everybody knows that. Everybody sees that. What we're talking about today is why that is happening. And and the number one reason we don't have access to the data. So any any good transparent plan, a, an employer should have access to the data. Um, secondly. Uh, your members of your plan, they have to have access to the information about prescriptions. Um, One example that we've used here, I think we've talked about it in the past, um, is a drug for diabetes. Uh, Very common. Everybody's heard of it. It's called metformin. Um, It's a $40 drug that's taken twice a day. And so if you have diabetes and you get your prescription filled, you take it twice a day. There's a new version of metformin that will allow you to only take it once per day. That's a $3,600 a month drug instead of $40 per month. So let me ask you, if you're an employee or a member, would you go ahead and take it twice a day if it could save you thirty over $30,000 a year? I know it's an inconvenience to take it an extra time, but wouldn't you probably choose to do that if you had the information? The problem is you don't. And so somebody says, hey, you can take this drug once instead of twice, sign me up. If my copay is the same or just a little bit more, I'm all for that. But what happens, the employer then is paying, if there's full insurance, their employer If you're self-funded, the employer self-funded. is paying that difference. Let's just say you're not a self-insured company. You're a fully insured, meaning I only pay a premium. I don't have to worry about claims. Well, you do have to worry about claims because now those claims are going against your history as an employer. And next year, when it's time for your 12-month renewal increase or decrease, we never get a decrease, it's going to be increased more because the, your plan is spending more money and you had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. If you just joined me, my guest is Shannon Dyson. He is the vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. He's an expert when it comes to medical insurance, health insurance for employer-employee benefit programs. And there's just so much that uh, Shannon has now done a ton of research and just talking about the transparency that is needed in the pharmacy benefits and how this is important, you know, just having data and then having the employee having the ability to make informed decisions, just two major issues. And Shannon, you know, I know you talk about this, but the reality is, what are some of the problems? I mean, that's two major things right there, just data and information to make good good quality decisions. But what are some other things that you see when it comes to the provider, you know, doing the the, the pharmacy benefit manager. So these pharmacy benefit uh, managers, another thing that is not as transparent as it needs to be uh, are the rebates that they they will negotiate with the drug manufacturers. So they will negotiate rebates on brand name drugs. So if a drug is very expensive, based on the amount of people that they have under their program, they can negotiate with these drug manufacturers. Now, just as an aside, there are only, I mean, I shouldn't say only, but the five major pharmacy benefit managers account for over 80% of the population of prescription drugs taken 
and, and employees covered under plans, only five. So when I'm talking about they can negotiate prices with drug manufacturers, they have a lot of buying power and they can negotiate these rebates. The problem is we don't know what these rebates are. We don't get to see it. Um, who is in charge of a formulary list? A formulary list is something you get every year as an employee. It shows you tier one through tier four in some plans or tier one through tier three and different drugs are placed in different tiers. Why are they placed in those tiers? Well, we think tier one is always generics and tier two are some lower brand name drugs and tier three are higher brand name drugs. But what we have seen and what studies have shown uh, are that some of the higher profit margin drugs, meaning the drugs that have the higher rebates could be placed in a lower tier to incentivize people to choose the lower tier drug because why? The employee has a lower copay. The lower the tier, the lower the copay. Uh, so that's the problem we don't know. And we're not saying that some of these practices are happening in, in all instances, but the point is we should be able to see what these rebates are and make decisions based on our knowledge. And that's the reason for the transparency that you're yes. talking about. That's the critical part. We're trying to fix health insurance in this country. And, uh, you know, we Band-Aid and Band-Aid, but what you're saying is just opening up the box and letting people look at it, have the data, have the inform be informed, and make good quality decisions for their medical care. The, the idea behind the diabetes of two times a day at $3,600 or one time a day at forty. that's a great example. I might may choose to pay the higher amount to be able to just do it, but I have a choice. I have a choice. That's right. That's the key. I think with all of these things, as I've been on a few times here talking about uh, increased healthcare price and, and why it's happening, it all boils down to, I think every subject that we have, it doesn't matter what we're discussing, it comes back to transparency. Because if people are given the information, most of the time we're going to make decisions that are in the best interest of ourselves and our employer. It just, it's as simple as that. Shannon, I tell you what, this has been a great subject, and you, we just ran out of time, man. I mean, you know, you didn't talk fast enough. You know I, how that goes? I'm yeah. sorry. But would you do this? Would you come back? Let's schedule you back in on October the 15th. Let's finish up the rest of this. You've got such a plethora of information. I'll bring some need... solutions instead of all the doom and gloom. Oh, that's right. Well, you did tell us about the doom and the gloom, but you do have solutions, and I think that's important to do. Well, I want to thank my guests, Greg Valliere, Scott Jordan, and Shannon Dyson. Thanks, guys, for being a part of the day's program. You did a great job. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks, Jim. You know, if you want to ask them questions, do feel free to do that. 901-757-5757. I want to remind you that you can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It's much appreciated. And again, if you have questions, type J-I-M to the text line, 901-683-0989, or send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. As I mentioned earlier, next week, my guest, Scott Jordan, he's going to talk about, he's going to continue talking about fundamentals of investing. Steve Anderson, common investing misconceptions. And then Drew and Scott, Drew Johnson and Scott are going to talk about popular misconceptions about bonds. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 12 noon. I want to thank my producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, compliance officer, Mr. Tommy Armstrong. Thanks so much for listening and being part of today's program. We are for you. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.